Welcome to Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davis, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about one of my favorite things in the world, movies. Gerg already has me tripping out. <laughs> this is our series show on the podcast feed, and it's the most wonderful time of the year as we prepare to talk about some filthy animals. But before we get to our movie this week, I must introduce my guest, who I just mentioned. He's been on here a couple of times, uh, most recently on phase two of Marvel's Infinity Saga. Ladies and gentlemen, Buzz! <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. I mean, Cameron Garganis. How are you doing today, man? <laughs> that was so funny. Um, I'm doing good. What up, everyone? Listen, you, you have to admit, you you bear a shocking resemblance to one of the main antagonists in this movie. Well, I take that personally because he is one of my least favorite characters in all of movie history. In <laughs> fact, his entire family in that movie is my least favorite characters in all of movie history. They are they are they are indeed the worst. They're in that category for me. Yeah. But before we move on, so since we're talking about Christmas, I, I have to ask you, what's your favorite Christmas movie? I don't I don't think this is something that I know. Um, you might be surprised. I know that you know that I've seen it before, but my favorite Christmas movie is Jingle All the Way. Nice, nice. It's a good Got one. Arnie Schwartz, Sinbad, and I—I I mean, everybody can probably agree Sinbad is not in enough movies. Yeah, well, like I did a podcast on that last year with Jared, and Ooh. it was—it was one of the most fun podcasts I, I've ever done. And that movie is absolutely ridiculous and absurd it feels like someone while they were making that movie like the first like third of it it it, it's it's you know it's it's pretty traditional but then once you get to like the second and third act it just gets crazy it feels like someone just decided to do shrooms as they were writing that and then the shrooms are kicking in halfway through writing it jingle all the way yes that movie is ridiculous dude i love it i love it i love it so much i think it's harsh no 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 i love it like it i love that movie but it is such a weird movie trying to think jingle all the way came out what year 96 96 really really i want to yeah 96 so that means the first time that I saw Jingle All the Way, I was born in 91. That means I was like five years old. <laughs> five years old. Yeah, I was, I remember the first time I uh, I got that movie was, uh, I want to say I, I had just gotten home from like preschool and my mom had it in the car waiting and uh, watched it when I got home. A lot of fun. I can't believe I like, retain that movie at five you know well it's made for children it's made to entertain you so it's going to have an impact on you i don't think i had the fully developed brain that a five-year-old should have at that point in my life that's why (laughs) that's why i'm amazed at my brain capacity at that (laughs) give yourself some credit man you're you're a very very smart person no the key to always evolving and progressing, learning from your mistakes is talking yourself in the mirror, like a dog and say, listen, you stupid idiot. What are you doing? Don't believe that's true. 
Oh, okay. Don't <laughs> take my advice. Try it if you want. It works wonders. It does not, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, got me. Okay, moving on. Let's move on. So as voted on by the people who follow me on my personal Instagram page, we are going to be talking about Home Alone 1 and 2. Now, you might be asking yourself, why just 1 and 2? Didn't they make others in this franchise? Yes. Yes, they did. In fact, they made four installments after the first two movies, one of which is available right now on Disney Plus with Home Sweet Home Alone. However, I don't really count those movies. Granted, I haven't seen any past three which isn't really connected to the first two, being it has a different kid and, and, and family. In fact, it actually has Scarlett Johansson in it in, a, in a, uh, one of her first roles, which is pretty cool. That's true. But to me, when I think Home Alone, I don't think about a glorified sequel that's not connected. I don't think of directed DVD movies, and I haven't seen Home Sweet Home Alone yet, so I, I, I will not comment on it. But to me, when I think Home Alone, I think the classic you know, Macaulay Culkin, Christopher Columbus, John Hughes movies. Uh, that's why we will only be covering the first two movies on this pod. No disrespect to to those who, who love those other films. But this week, we'll be talking about the first installment, simply titled Home Alone. A film directed by uh, Christopher Columbus and starring Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, and Catherine O'Hara, who is awesome. If you aren't familiar with Home Alone, the plot synopsis reads like such, according to Google. When bratty eight-year-old Kevin McAllister acts out the night before a family trip to Paris, his mother makes him sleep in the attic. After the McAllisters mistakenly leave for the airport without Kevin, he awakens to an empty house and assumes his wish to have no family has come true. But his excitement sours when he realizes that two con men plan to rob the McAllister residence and that he alone must protect the family home. So first off, I will say while he is a smart Alec kid, I don't consider him to be bratty. I don't, I I don't know if I would consider him to be bratty. So I, I don't agree with that in the synopsis, but this movie was such a box office smash when it came out, grossing, I think it was like $476.7 million at the worldwide box office on a budget of $18 wow. million. Uh, it was actually a surprise hit when it came out, so much so it was dubbed You oh Got God. Home Alone when it came out, beating out all the new releases. It would end up with the run as the third highest grossing film that year, right behind other classics like Pretty Woman and Ghost. Home Alone really captured the pop cultural zeitgeist when it came out, and 31 years later, after its release, it still captures the heart of many, and it's considered to be one of the best holiday films, and for good reason. So, Cam, when was the first time you saw Home Alone, and how does it compare to how you feel about it now? I believe that the first time I ever saw Home Alone was when I was maybe like 11, and I actually saw the second one first and didn't know there was a one before that. And I Ooh. thought that was the first Home Alone movie. Yeah. So like my, my first introduction to the wet bandits, sticky bandits in the second one, <laughs> um, was Kevin McAllister getting tapped on the shoulder by Harry and him screaming his guts out. Like, so I then found out the following year that that was not, the first one 
That was the second one. And then once I saw the first one, a lot of stuff made sense. So that was, that was a weird experience for me. Cause like I was literally at the YMCA and they have like these programs during the summer where you can go and hang out and we watch movies on Wednesdays and, t- and the teacher or volunteer or whatever that was teaching us or whatever was literally just like, all right, we're putting on home alone. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I've heard some people talk about this movie. Okay, cool. It's Home Alone <laughs> 2. You got to introduce it right. <laughs> so my question to you, though, is does how does it compare the first one to how you feel about it now? Like when you first saw it, what was your reaction? Uh, Home Alone? Yeah. It was like me watching it at that young age, I literally remember just taking it in as, Oh, this is a cool. This is a uh, this is a nice little Christmas film. It's got Christmas vibes. Oh wait, this kid is being left home alone. Okay, and then the end of the movie, he sets all those traps and like deals with the burglars. And I'm just little me is sitting there like I could never. <laughs> this this kid's amazing. Now watching it as an adult, how does it hit you? Does it hit you differently? Uh, it does hit me differently because now that you're older and a more developed brain. Like, you know, you have a better idea of the pain that each one of those booby traps would cause a person. Oh, dear God. I think it's one thing that's dead. Harry and Marv would be dead or severely injured. I'm saying, and there's something on the second movie podcast in the future that I want to talk about that I was like, it should have been the end right here <laughs> that later yeah. like, roll credits they're dead like do you revisit this every year is this something that you revisit every year during the holiday season home alone yeah they're kind of special like that because i literally don't ever watch them well that's not true but in my adult years now i don't really ever watch them unless they were on tv for christmas because i don't own them now i do own them I've owned them since last year because they had a Christmas sale and just the first two, not the third one. I love the third one, but I'm not going to buy it, but they, yeah, I watch them every year for Christmas and I'm kind of glad that I revisited them because the last time that I watched them was when I was like 23, I think. Well, no, yeah, wait, no, it was 23 because I watched it over at John's. Oh, nice. And (laughs) John's. Um, but like, yeah, they they are really, really good. They, they still hit me really, really crazily now. Like, like I said, you know, you know how much pain those guys are in, but also you notice things about the family. And like, when you're a kid like me, I'm just literally sitting there like, this is over simulation and entertainment. I'm just going to watch this. And some things I remember, but watching it now, I did not realize how horrible his family was to him. I did not realize how legitimately scary it would be if I was like left home alone like that. Like I didn't know some of the things that he had knowledge of as a kid in that movie. Yeah. He's a pretty smart kid. Pretty smart, pretty aware. Like you can tell he's one of those kids that's, paying attention to everything his mom and dad are doing whenever he runs errands with them or whatever, like very attentive. And also he's very mature in some of the ways that he talks to his parents. Yeah. Like he is childish, but he still can have full on like conversations with her. Which to me strikes me more as a kid that like I related to 
you know, and speaking right. of which, you know, the first time I saw this movie is I don't remember, you know, usually I remember the first times I've seen most movies and you guys know that, but with this movie, I honestly, I can't remember. It's just been so burned deep into my self-conscious that it, it feels like a part of my life. That's always kind of just been there. And as a kid, I was obsessed with this movie because I really, really related to Kevin being the youngest of four and either always getting blamed for everything or constantly, you know, being underestimated. It also helped that much like Kevin and Gerg, you know this, I had a thing for setting up pranks and traps for people. But even as a kid, the thing that struck me was the message of even though families fight and, and argue, we should, you know, never say things out of anger that will later regret and, and never being afraid to make the first step to say you're sorry for something that you did or, or said. I watch this movie now and the message I still think is excellent for this film. But the thing that I think is special about this movie is how it really did come out at the perfect time. It would be, you know, really hard to do this movie today with our modern sensibilities and technology that we have, which is why I think all the movies after this haven't had the same kind of impact. As a 90s kid, I get super nostalgic about it and it feels so magical and it really reminds me of being a kid, you know. But like I said, I when you break this movie down, it's about forgiveness and, and a son realizing how much he loves his family and a mother feeling horrible for how she handled a situation, compounding on the fact that she forgot her own son and doing whatever she can to get back to him, you know? And I always complained about not seeing enough mother-son relationships done well in movies, and I think this one is really done well it's kind of a a mother-son movie once you really break it down for sure definitely i mean those are really the only two characters in the movie that i care about yeah yeah they're they're, they're the only redeemable characters in the movie well besides uh uh the shovel man oh i'm just talking about characters from the family i care a lot about shovel man yeah, but Marley is a sweetheart, and he needs to be protected at all costs. Yes, he is, and and I I'm forgetting the the uh, the shovel man. I think it's Marley. Marley. Yep. Yeah, he's 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 a great character. The Rotten Tomato score for this movie currently sits at sixty six percent. You would think it would be higher, but it's not. Uh, and the consensus is. Uneven but frequently funny premise stretched unreasonably thin is buoyed by Macaulay Culkin's cute performance and strong supporting stars. Uh, do you agree with the score? I don't. I don't at all. I think it at least it at least needs to be a B. Sixty six is way too low. Like, uh, like I would definitely say. It needs to be in the 80 to 90 range, score-wise. Yeah, I would probably put it around a 90. Um, for my personal rating, I'd probably put it around a 90%. It's, you know, it, it's, it doesn't have a lot of, you know, it has more depth to it, I think, I, honestly, than, than it gets credit for. And I don't think it's uneven. 
I will say that. I, I don't think it's uneven, and I don't think the movie wears out its welcome. It moves very, very fast. Uh, yeah. It's a nice, it, breezy, like, hour and 43 minutes, you know? It, it's Yeah. It, it, it I know that me saying high. it's a classic doesn't really constitute it being enough evidence to say, oh, that's not why it needs a higher score because it's a classic. But, like, this movie is, like, one of the blueprints for, like, holiday vibes in movies. Like, they did it right. Yeah, they, they, they really did. Like, and, again, this movie kind of captured lightning in a bottle and came out at the perfect time, too. Because I'm making mm-hmm. Home Alone today, again, having not seen Home Sweet Home Alone, I imagine is very, very difficult. You know, because the plot of this movie would end very quickly because all you have to do is wake up. That kid probably has a phone or at least an iPad or something and could like text or FaceTime his mom and be like, hey, you left me. Oh, yeah. It'd be done and over in like two seconds. Yeah, it it would be it would be done and over with very, very quickly. It wouldn't it wouldn't be a, a, a huge plot at all. All right, I'm going to Uber eat you and nanny to come and look after you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and what's funny about this score, too, is if you look it up, it doesn't have – normally on, on Rotten Tomatoes, you have anywhere between 200 to 300 uh, reviews. On this one, there's not as many. It's like six, in the 60s. Right. If, I, if, if I'm remembering correctly. I could, I could be uh, missing on that one, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's in the – like 60s in terms of how many reviews are written. Rotten Tomatoes stays disrespecting my childhood. <laughs> what, what makes you say that? Scores on like old movies I've checked. I'm like, what? <laughs> how, how dare you? Well, like, you know, when I was a kid, I loved Batman and Robin. I watched that as an adult now, and I think it's the most funny, unintentional comedy of all time. It's a pretty ridiculous movie. Um, yeah. And when you're a kid, you don't you don't really think about stuff like that. No, no, you don't. You don't. No. Um, I think I think some critics need to retain that sense of wonder and just like you know turn their minds off for more movies well, and try and that. You shouldn't have to turn your mind off to en- enjoy a movie. But what I always say is when I whenever I review a movie, or I always say. Judge it by what the artist, the director, and everyone involved, the writers, what what they are trying to accomplish. Not judging it based off of what I want, but what the creators and the authors of this the, this project are presenting to me. And I judge it based off of what they are doing versus what I want to do. Uh, what, sure. what I want it to do, you know, check my expectations at the door and I judge it based off of what I'm, what's presented to me and did it follow through with what it presented and with something like home alone. Yeah, it absolutely does. It captures a, a, a magical time for, with, uh, for being a kid perfectly and certainly being the youngest, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, from being the youngest in in, in a family of four, this is uh, yeah, it, it truly captures the the spirit of of that, and also of of Christmas too, right? And and the importance of of family and reconciliation with your family and forgiveness, which is really the the biggest theme of them all in the movie. 
I have mixed feelings about that, but we'll get into that more <laughs> Fair here, enough. here in a couple minutes. But moving on to uh, fun facts. Uh, the picture Kevin finds of Buzz's girlfriend was a picture of a boy made up to look like a girl because director Christopher Columbus, or excuse me, Chris Columbus, thought it would be too cruel to make fun of a girl like that. The boy that was used in the photo was art director Dan Webster's son. And that's pretty funny. And I admire Chris Columbus' decision to do that because that would be messed up to make fun of a girl like that. But if you like dress up a boy like overly dress up a, a boy to look like a girl and make it very comical, then it, you know, it, it, it it's, it's not making fun of a, a girl for looking the way she is. It's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's so wild to think about. Cause like, I'm going to need to go back and pause that and see if I can tell if it's a boy or girl or not. Cause like, it's just like a quick look, but like you're also like not really. I don't know me when I'm watching the scene. I'm not really looking at the picture. Like I'm ready to like get back to what Kevin's gonna get into. I'm mostly paying attention like, to Kevin. Right, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So like, <laughs> that's interesting. That's funny. <laughs> it's real funny. <laughs> I'm just wondering now if you can tell. I might just look up the scene after this podcast on YouTube and see if I can tell. <laughs> Uh, Why your girlfriend? Wolf. Yeah, wolf. <laughs> uh, Joe Pesci kept forgetting that he was filming a family movie during his character's on-screen outburst, so director Chris Columbus advised him to say fridge instead of the F word, which created the server fridge, 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 language that he came up with. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> Can't be kids. Real funny because his reactions like that make the prank even funnier. Why do I forget often that that's Joe Pesci? I don't know why. Like when I'm watching, oh, right. I mean, now when you're an adult, it's kind of hard to forget. But like, I kind of had that little bit of a feeling watch, revisiting these movies like seven years later. Like, oh, dang, that's Joe Pesci. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that that is Joe Pesci from Raging Bull, Oscar winner from Goodfellas. You know. And you know, honestly, that's a good like second fact because you know that makes sense. Like, I'm you sit there wondering, like, I can't believe Joe Pesci was like acting with a child actor and like on set, like you know how how did <laughs> it's really like. You know what I'm saying? I can see that. That's totally believable. Yeah. Like, stop saying the F word. Lethal joke. weapon. <laughs> Him right. playing the weapon is so funny. Okay, 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 okay. It's so funny and lethal weapon. Uh, Macaulay Culkin drew the map that his character uses to set up the traps, and that's pretty cool. It looks like a kid drew it whenever he, like, out does it which i have questions like what the hell was he setting that up for like he already had that planned up like who was he gonna use that on and why you're saying like his character kevin in the movie already had it drawn up yes does he see does he already have him drawn up i thought they just drew up ravels it like a scroll so he already had it I think that might have just been like for a dramatic effect. Like, 
I wouldn't like to think that he already had plans for like dangerous traps like that or set up. I mean, I I hope not. Maybe they were for Buzz. I can understand him having those set up for Buzz because Buzz is a butthead. Buzz is a butthead. But I don't know. Maybe he was planning to do that to his own family. I hope not. Can you come down the basement for a minute? Oh yeah, there was the nail too. Like that's the thing. He's a little. He's a little sadistic. Kevin. I wouldn't doubt it. I would not doubt it that he like actually had a revenge scheme for the future, like the day that they really pushed him over the edge. <laughs> Why I oughta. It's really this is a prequel to that movie he did with Elijah Wood called The Good Son. <laughs> My God. Have you ever <laughs> seen that movie? I have not, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I saw the marketing and advertisements for yeah, it. You should yeah. definitely not watch that. I mean, well, it's I haven't seen it in so long. And it was one of those movies I watched when I was super young. And I thought, oh, Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin when they're kids. And then I watched it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this movie is ridiculous. Yeah. Like. He's a little yeah. psychopath in that movie. Yeah. I am going to have to give that a watch. You said not to watch it, but I have to watch it now. Yeah. I've been watching a lot more obscure films, like really stuff that doesn't get seen too much. Like I saw Green Knight and that was pretty good. I'm glad you liked it. (laughs) (laughs) The scream that Daniel Stern belts out during the tarantula scene was filmed live on set after Stern was assured by the animal handlers that the tarantula did not have ears. However, the tarantula's poison was not extracted, as some have thought. This was all confirmed by Stern in a December 24th, 2015 post on his Instagram page. That is really, truly scary that the poison was not extracted. That seems like an oversight. That's a terrible oversight. That is like uh, I would sue. Like, <laughs> I'm sure he's. Me. I'm sure he's fine now. He got paid for the movie oh, yeah. and everything, and he came oh, yeah. out for the sequel. Like, but you think like if that would have gone south? Oh like, yeah, that would like that would have been a real bad, real bad thing. They would have had a lawsuit on their hands for sure. That is wild, dude. Super wild. I mm. if I found that out later, I'd be like, what? Yeah, I'd be really pissed. You said what? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone on set was amazed with how mature and professional Macaulay Culkin was. Joe Pesci said in an Entertainment Weekly magazine that Mac is not a nine-year-old. He's an old man already. And we talked about that already, too. Like, he's mm-hmm. very, very mature uh, in this movie in the sense that he is still a child, but he acts like how most kids that I've ever dealt with act, you know, right. Because there, there tends to be a tendency in in movies where they make kids kid like, but also stupid. And often kids are more intelligent than most people think or, or led to believe, I think emotionally intelligent. There are some kids that they portray as stupid. Yeah, you're right. I feel like most movies I've seen, they always try to make the kid as likable as possible. And 
write them very witty lines and stuff like that. But the other half of it, like maybe some of the kids from Mighty Ducks, yeah, I could well, see that. Like it's certain times they they write kids the way that certain people write kids. It, it doesn't come across as realistic to me. But the best ones are always the ones that capture something like this, where you still capture the spirit of like a a nine year old boy, right? He isn't just you know a fun nine year old boy. He has thoughts and opinions on things. You know what I mean? Right, right, definitely. And that's that's what makes the best kid movies or kid led movies is the ones where the the kid actually isn't just portrayed to be you know helpless and yeah 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 for sure definitely. A Cole Culkin stunt double was a very short thirty year old man. <laughs> I'm going to need to see a cut of this movie where it lets you know. So, like see. you can the scene where he's zipping across to his uh his fort like his treehouse is you that can, you can see it. Yeah. It's very clearly a body double. And he actually on that awesome awesome Netflix uh series called The Movies That Made Us from the first season they did home alone and it's uh you get to see him he he's he's interviewed on there really yeah what so was this guy someone they hired was he related to anybody in the crew no, no, no. he was just someone that they hired to, to be a body double to do some of the dangerous stunts that they didn't want macaulay culkin to do wow dang Dang, I thought he was. I definitely thought that was him doing the zip line over no, to his no, no. If you if you zoom in, you can you can see it. Dang, dang! Did I just ruin the, the, the movie you, magic for you, man? You said what? Did I just ruin the mu- movie magic for you? No, I don't think so. It's not going to ruin it for me. But I mean, I'm always going to be thinking. You know, that is a 30 year old man. That is not a boy. <laughs> no, that is that is a thirty-year-old man doing that stunt. That is wild. Yep. John Candy filmed his parts in only one day, albeit a twenty-three-hour day. All of his dialogue was improvised, and his part was potentially partly inspired by the character he played in *Planes, Trains, and Automobiles*, also written and produced by John Hughes. Uh, just watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles this past Thanksgiving. Terrific Thanksgiving movie. Uh, really? Yes, really, really good Thanksgiving movie. Um, I always see that movie on the shelves, but I never watch it. You should watch it, man. It's it's a classic. It's real funny. And it's got a lot of heart to it, too, which is no surprise. It's John Hughes. Uh, the movie was uh, originally, or excuse me, the movie originally had more scenes of the family in Paris, France, but the test audiences wanted to go back to Kevin. And that's no surprise because no one in the family is very likable. Not at all. Except for the mom. Yeah, she's the only likable one. Uh, go ahead. That, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't have wanted to see more scenes of the family in Paris, just like you said, like no, yeah, we want to get back to Kevin. Yeah, and like I said, the movie is it is a quick hour and forty three minute watch. 
Right. You know. And you I know, think- as long as they were scenes of the family having a miserable time on their vacation. <laughs> yeah, true. Watching, uh, I think in this one they're watching a uh, a French version of uh, "It's a Wonderful Life," right? You know, which is a fantastic movie that I have a hot take on. I don't think it's a Christmas movie, which I know will anger some people. <laughs> uh, John Williams stepped in when the original composer backed out. The filmmakers never thought they could get Williams, but he saw an early cut of the movie and was enchanted. And this movie has an incredible score. I mean, how many times do you just go around during the holiday season and do the do 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 do? Like I do it all the time, and it's it's it catches like kind of that like whimsy and I don't that prankster mischievous sense, you know, yeah. like there's something about that score that just really captures that. It's iconic. Like, I mean, you hear that music anywhere and you know, what's going down. Like, it's just one of those movies, you know, exactly the music. Like you hear that, you know, it's home alone. Yeah. And there's no the, other movies that have that. The somewhere in my memory song. Uh, yeah, it, definitely. It's great. And I mean, come on, it's John Williams. He's the greatest composer of all time. He really did do a good job with catching the vibe of that movie and the music. He did. He did. And again, it's John Williams, greatest composer of all yeah. time. And the last fun fact we'll get to, to promote a stronger Christmas feel, red and green are major reoccurring colors throughout the movie appearing quite conspicuously in almost every scene. This includes furniture, clothing, food containers, and wallpaper. And yeah, it it really appears everywhere. And it does give the movie that extra Christmas oomph. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. It's not, and it's not like, they decorated everything very elegantly. It's not like in your face. You can't, you, you, it's not like something where they're like trying too hard. Like it no. just, I I think, where did they film this movie? Do you know where this, or do you know where this movie is supposed to take so place? It, it's in Chicago, right? It's supposed to be in Chicago. It's in Chicago, and they filmed it in Chicago. Uh, the house is a real location. Uh, I think it's actually like an Airbnb Airbnb house that you can stay in. Uh, but they built the inside of the house, like the sets are all built inside of a high school, like a high school gymnasium. Really? Yes. They, they did not film in the house. Obviously they couldn't, but, uh, they, they, wow. they built the inside, the interior of the house inside of a, uh, high school. Interesting. That's insane. I, what I was asking that for is because, you know, I don't think, this movie would have worked as a Christmas movie if they it wasn't taking place in a snowy setting. Because the snow is one of the biggest contributors to the Christmas vibes for me. Yeah, and they they uh that scene at the end when the snow is falling, that's genuine. That's real. But in some of the other scenes they used like if I remember correctly from the Netflix uh, movies that made us a uh, documentary on the making of this movie or the behind the scenes of the making of this movie, uh, they use potato shavings. Oh. And they started to decay. 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it starts to smell pretty bad and funky. I bet. Yeah. But before we get to our award section, guys, we're going to take a quick break so you can hear an ad from our sponsor. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsor over here at Ben Davis Movie Podcast. We really, really appreciate that. But we're going to move on to our award section. And we're going to start off with favorite scenes and moments. And I'm going to start off here with the I'm living alone part. Listen, as a kid, I related so hard to this scene. (laughs) All Kevin wanted was a little help putting his suitcase together. And all his siblings are just assholes to him, uh, even as far as the calling him like a disease. But it's just so damn funny with him jumping up and down and repeating, when I get married, I'm leaving. And I'm, you know, I'm going to get my own house and I'm going to live alone. You hear me? I'm living alone. And he's just jumping up and down, screaming it. And Joe's Pesci's face is just, it's so freaking hilarious. Yeah, that's maybe like the only scene where you can say Kevin was acting a little bit childish. Yes, yes, 100%. But I get his frustrations. Right. And most of the family just sees a little kid having a temper tantrum and everything. But no, you all are like contributors to this temper tantrum. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to pitch this one to you, Cam. Uh, The pizza... Dinner slash fight with Buzz. Oh, don't get me started. But yes, get me started because this is a podcast. This scene gives me anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) And dude, this is one of my least favorite scenes in a movie. Buzz is literally just being obnoxious. He knows Kevin has been looking forward to having that cheese pizza. And you see Buzz just stuff his face with like the last two slices. I'm thinking. Maybe it's just the last slice. And then he's like, oh, we ate all the cheese pizza, but get a plate ready. I think I'm about to barf it up. And just pushes Kevin to the edge. Like everyone's already been rude to him, not helping him with his suitcase and telling him to grow up and handle his own stuff. And then then Buzz eats his pizza. And, you know, that's his breaking point. And then he loses it. And not only is the part with Buzz anxiety-inducing – But when their fight leads to them knocking over sodas and pizza and just causing a chain reaction with the family spilling all the stuff. gets stuffed behind a chair. Yeah. And that part was funny to me because I don't like Fuller. But (laughs) – sorry. But but, And then the Uncle Frank not even knowing the – wasn't even paying attention to the whole situation. If we can just all agree that one of the worst uncles ever in film – is Uncle Frank. Yes. And the way he yells at Kevin, that's not even your kid. Look what you did, you little jerk. Yeah, no, that was why. I'm not even Kevin, and I took that personally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I take that personally, too. For real? I felt like he was yelling at me. Felt, I saw one of my family members in it. Called a nine-year-old a jerk. What kind of an asshole does that? I wonder, you know, how does he treat Fuller, his own son? I'm saying, and then the parents are just cool with it. And I, I would have looked at the parents like, y'all don't want to say anything. Yeah, I, I have questions about this later, so we we will we will talk about it. But listen, the Fuller <laughs> bit makes this scene for me. Fuller, easy on the Pepsi, followed by the look on his face, like he knows what he's about to do. It's 
and he doesn't care about the consequences. Not at all. Mom's just going to clean my pee sheets, you know. It's no big deal. (laughs) It's so funny. Those are his sheets back there. (laughs) Oh, God, that's a a, uh, Waterboy reference. Yes, sir. Yes. Deputy Dog. (laughs) Have you ever heard of a cartoon character that goes by the name of Deputy Dog? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... Tim, what do you think about the neighbor kid? Oh my gosh. Uh, I told Ben I, this was one of my scenes, and this is the scene that bothers me the most out of all the chaos that ensues in the end of the movie. This one scene bothers me the most. This neighborhood neighbor kid comes over. You see him, see the camera pan, and he comes on screen. You think he's the paper boy. No, he's just some random neighbor. Coming over to be nosy, this little kid. He's, hara- I'm gonna say harassing because he's verbally harassing them by just asking them annoying kid questions and all this random stuff. They don't have time for this stuff. They're trying to get this family to the airport, and this kid just like, "Hey, Mister, what you doing? Is this a diesel? Does this run on diesel? What kind of muffler is that?" And then, on top of harassing the people who's supposed to be delivering them to the airport. He starts going through their bags, and he's like, whoa, no way. Like, a random person's bag. And then you see him, like, he's got something in his jacket when he's walking away. Already stole stuff from him. Then he's like, see the McAllister's. Have fun in Paris. Bring me back something nice. Like, you just got something nice. You just stole something out of one of their bags. Did he and- really? I, I, that's something I've never noticed. No one sees it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's implied. He's like, Covering up his jacket, and he's got something in his jacket. Isn't that just cold? It is Chicago. He's too mischievous. I don't think that's the case. He definitely stole something out of one of their bags. (laughs) But here's the thing look, we all know or knew that kid who talks and talks and talks and asks all these questions. And this kid is really the embodiment of what we all knew growing up. And it's really funny. I didn't hang out with those kids too much. I didn't either, but I knew them. I'm just sitting there watching this as a viewer, and I'm like, does no one see this kid? <laughs> yeah, he he legit does go through their baggage, though. <laughs> like, that's that was That scene has, that character has the Have you never had any whole training? Whole, that, that bothered me for the rest of the movie. I'm like, was someone going to push him down or something? Like, like you know, all the stuff that happened to push him down? <laughs> just like grab him by the face and just push him down the snow? That's like, so mean. I saw what you did. No, <laughs> some kids. Never mind. Anyway, we're not going to get into that. But all the chaos that ensues in the movie, and that's the scene that bothers me the most. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, he he clearly has no home training. Going through other people's luggage, you can't be doing that. Watch it again and pay attention to him as he's walking away like, bye, bring me back something nice. He's hiding right. something in that jacket. All right, I'll be I'll be on the lookout. I'm probably going to watch this again on, on like, uh, Christmas Eve or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> He's got something in the jacket, Ben. All right. I'll, I'll be on the lookout for it. Next one is Buzz. <laughs> I forgot to do it. Buzz's girlfriend? 
Woof. Like, it's just the quote. It's just a quote. It's so funny. <laughs> the delivery's impeccable. It, it is. It really is, though. Like, I quote this daily. It's just ridiculously funny. I think it's even funnier because... It's but, not even the picture, though. Like, it's not the picture. It's the delivery. Yeah, the, this is before. I'm saying this before I just found out tonight on the podcast that that is a art director's son. Yes, that is a boy like, dressed up to look like a girl. Before all that, I, I don't think – I think every single time I viewed this, I've never actually looked at the picture too hard because I'm just it's assuming – It's really quick. It's, it's a blonde wig – and he's making like a face, like yeah, yeah. But like, I think what makes it funniest, like the delivery and everything, is Buzz carries himself like he's a player, like like he's a cool kid, a cool older kid, and he knows Kevin sees him like that. Every little brother sees their older brother like that. But then he actually gets a look at him, and I think he loses a little bit of respect for Buzz after he sees a picture of his girlfriend. Well, what's always so funny to me in these movies like this is they always depict brothers as being kind of like at odds. Yeah. Like older and younger brothers around that age. And like, with my older brother, I never experienced that. We were always pretty close. Right. Right. He was never – they always depict older brothers as bullies like back in the day. Yeah, night. my brother never bullied me. Now, he definitely right. did take advantage of his younger brother for sure. <laughs> I mean, why not? For sure. And I definitely guilt-tripped him as, come on, I'm your little brother, man, for sure. But, like, we never we, – he never, like, bullied me or anything like that, you know? Right. Ridiculous. Um, the pizza delivery. Mm. This is so funny. Kevin is a little genius, and he finally gets that cheese pizza to himself that he so craved at the beginning of this film. And I will say, I do feel a tiny bad for the pizza delivery guy because he just wanted a good tip. He wasn't a bad guy, you know. Now he uses on this on Marv later. And it is also really funny. But this one, because it happened first, is just, it's so funny. And the fake movie that they use has fooled so many people over the years thinking it's a real movie. It's like Angels Have No Wings or Angels Without Souls. What's it called? Um, Angels with Filthy Souls. Yeah. And it's a fake movie. It's not real. Yeah. I had no idea that that was a fake movie. Yeah, I've wondered. Most people don't. I've wondered, but it's like I've never like been in the mindset to say, "Hey, I'm gonna look up what movie was in that and find out that it was a fake movie." <laughs> um, like you know, I never, <laughs> I never ever. This that's a good fact. I, I I did not know that. Yep. Yep. And I mean, the scene itself is just ridiculously funny. Calls him a cheapskate, and then he plays it super loud with the 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 surround sound system booming. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if someone could actually pull this off in real life. I feel like someone I don't would know so. that it was coming from like a yeah. TV or something. Well, see, when he does it with Marv, he lights off like uh, firecrackers. Right. So it's a lot more authentic. Yeah. Versus this, it's clearly not really that authentic, you know. Right. I don't know if it would really work. You kind of have to suspend disbelief for it to, to for it to work. 
It's a good thing that he used this only on a pizza delivery guy and Marv. Yeah, for sure. Right. Next one is it's the church scene, man. And I'm going to pitch this one to you. What, what do you think about the church scene? One of my favorites. Um, this is a really beautiful scene, and it's also a very important scene, in my opinion, to the yeah. movie. Like, you know, that's really where Kevin gets to know Mr. Marley a lot better and find out what his whole deal is. And Kevin essentially finds out that all of what Buzz said about Mr. Marley is not true. Like, and, you know, I love these moments where characters actually sit down and talk to each other and find out about each other and there's character development and everything. But not only that, this scene is beautiful because, you know, it's a Christmas movie, but they're in the church. Kevin goes to a place where he feels safe. safe. Yeah. And he's, he sees Mr. Marley. He's talking to him. You got the chorus in the background. You got the reeds. You got the, um, what's those red flowers called for Christmas? I forget. Poinsettias. Yeah. yeah. Poinsettias. Um, like all of that is just like beautiful. And he pretty much gives Kevin the push and the advice that he needs to man up and handle his business and, and, and vice versa too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's another thing. Kevin, this scene also displays an example that Kevin is very bright for his age. And sometimes kids do have points to make and, reasonable stuff like or they sometimes they say stuff that makes a lot of sense well it's because they they cut through the bullshit right so like <laughs> right this scene really captures the the, the spirit uh, of the movie and the theme it's about family reconciliation and and forgiveness ultimately and what i like the most about it is the fact that it it's all through the eyes of a child and that's what makes it so pure you know when we're adults sometimes we get bogged down by the nuance and minutiae of it all and children sometimes can just cut right through that and get right to the center of the problem and kevin kind of takes his own advice too because after having this conversation it's him realizing okay this is my family this is my house i have to defend it mm-hmm. you know and that that leads into the prepping montage and this used to pump me up as a kid. It was kind of like the Rocky montage for me. <laughs> like anytime I was about to pull off like a prank on one of my siblings or anything like that, the music in this, the sequence would always play in my mind. Yeah, it's a good scene. Um, I mean, I'm a sucker for prepping montages in all movies. So like seeing how he prepped with his unique style and all the objects that he decides to use and stuff like that. This was a good one. Like uh, the music also really good for this scene. Definitely Christmas themed music, but it also kind of, it's kind of like a Christmas mission impossible vibe to me. Yeah, um, it really is though. Like it, it does come across as like a, 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 I don't know if it's a mission. Well, yeah, it kind of is a Mission Impossible because he's setting up all these traps, you know? Mm-hmm. And being sneaky about it. Right. 
the entire defending of the house sequence. So there's a lot of moments in, in this, but this entire scene is gold. You know, Marv, he he slide downs those stairs. He gets hit in the face by an iron. <laughs> he steps on a nail. Ah. And then he goes around to the front and steps on a Chris, several Christmas ornaments, which, by the way, hurts like a son of a bitch. And then you mm-hmm. get the tarantula scene, too. And then you have Harry, who honestly kind of gets the worst of it in this one. He gets shot in the nuts with a pellet gun. He gets branded with the M, like the McAllister M doorknob. Yes. His head gets set on fire. He gets turned into a chicken and then gets hit with a crowbar several times. <laughs> turned into a chicken. <laughs> Why are you dressed like a chicken? Like, listen, there. this is the scene in the movie where, like, if I'm doing something, I could be doing something around the house, doesn't matter. If I see this scene on, I'm stopping what I'm doing and I'm going to watch it. Right. It's just relentlessly funny. As someone who loves physical comedy, this is like pure gold. It really is. It it is so funny, and these guys get the shit kicked out of them for real. It, they really do, and it, it's so funny. And you know, they go into it on that uh, movies that made us documentary about this movie and how often on sets, you know, they're like. The, the stunt guys that perform these stunts were like, oh, it's mostly just jumping up and down and falling <laughs> flat on your back. But it's still like you're taking the full force of falling flat on your back like that. That's got to freaking suck. Not everybody's getting back up from that. Well, they – I mean they had to. They were stuntmen. And thankfully I don't think there was really any injuries on set. But Right. Like – and that's not even including like the staircase sequence. You know, when they slide across on like the – the uh, Hot Wheels cars and then fall down the steps after getting hit in the face with like paint cans. Right. And then getting the rope cut and falling out like this. It's just the movie builds and builds and builds and builds to this entire sequence. Yeah. And it just lives up to the hype completely. Yeah. It's you definitely. I mean, they are robbers, but. I felt kind of bad for him in some spots. <laughs> well, Kevin's a little sadistic. We've we've gone over that a little bit already, but yeah, he's a little sadistic. Definitely. That it's just wrong in some of those scenes. Just wrong. That crowbar. Oof. Well, the fire. Like, he could have killed him. <laughs> like, for sure. Very true. The fact that they uh there's moments in that where I would have just been like, all right, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. These guys, they're stubborn as hell. They're persistent. For real. Yeah. They're anything but persistent, you know? Yeah. Uh, And the last scene that we have is the family arrives. And, again, this is just touching because, really, the whole movie is put into motion because of a conversation gone wrong between a mother and a son. And this movie is ultimately about a mother and son realizing the importance of one another and how the the son learns to defend his family and stand up for them despite how they treat him. And a mother desperately trying to get back to her son that she clearly feels horrible for how that conversation went. 
but also because she forgot him. Like, how awful would you feel as a parent if you've left your your son or daughter by themselves? You know? And yeah. that and then it's it's really touching their their meeting of one another. Finally, when we see them 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 come together, it's it's really touching, and you get that incredible score by John Williams, and then not only that, we see the shovel man Marley, Mister Marley, reconnecting with his son after taking the advice from Kevin about not being afraid to say, "Hey, I'm sorry," and call him up and just say, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm sorry for how things went." Right. And it's it's a really beautiful wrap up to a, a Christmas classic. That was Marley's reconnection with his family and everything is what got me. I literally only cared about Kevin seeing his mom again, the rest of the family. They can go fart in a shoebox for all I care. (laughs) But Kevin and the mom and Marley and his family, that really tied the bow on the gift for me. Like that was, that was a good wrap up. Yeah, for sure. But out of all these scenes, Cam, which one is your favorite? Definitely the entire defending of the house. Scene. Agreed. It's just, Definitely. again, it's one of those scenes that if you have it on in the house, say you have the movie on in the background of the house and it's on this scene, I don't care who you are. You're stopping. You're watching the scene. It's just, it's relentlessly funny and entertaining. Right. It's a it, good payoff too, to like, all the stuff that, you know, the wet bandits have been doing throughout that movie leading up to that moment. It's, you know, you picked the wrong house tonight, guys. You yeah, really, really did. did. And what's even sweeter is it's coming from a kid. <laughs> yeah. It's not an adult defending them, defending the house. It's the kid that came up with all that stuff. Yeah. No one, no, the police or nobody <laughs> had any questions about that. I know, right? For real, like, I mean, they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have had any reason, like, to go down in there or whatever. But, I mean, I feel like there would have been way more and there would have been way more investigative measures. Well, we don't see that. I'm sure that there definitely was. And I'll have to revisit. Well, we will revisit the sequel. So we'll be able to see what's said about that and how the first one went down and how that was handled. I don't I. If I remember correctly, it's kind of passed over. They went to jail, and they don't really mention anything about destroying right. the house. Although Buzz does so does say to Kevin, "What did you do to my room?" You know, but dude, that's, really it. that's one thing that I always think about. Like Buzz is like pretty cool, Kev, and but you don't see the scene of like. I mean, you don't see visually the scene of Buzz going in his room. And seeing that crap done to his shelves. I've always wondered about that. I keep forgetting that they kind of touch on that a little bit at the end of the movie. Like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, when I saw that scene, him climbing up the shelves, and then it all just gets destroyed, and he lands underneath that. You know know damn well any other kid would be crying, wailing, hurting, and everything. It depends on the kid. Like, I used to... There were there was certain stuff like that that happened to me when I was growing up, and I was fine. I didn't cry or anything like that. So it he depends. depends. He destroyed the that shelf, though. That oh, was like did. five shelves nailed on the wall. Oh, he wrecked them. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, no and one stole his life savings too. 
No wonder Buzz went back to his same antics in the second one. (sighs) Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that. We will for sure get to that. But yeah, I think you and I are both in agreement that the entire defending of the house sequence is by far the best scene in the entire movie. For sure. Uh, Moving on to worst scenes and moments. So I really only have – because this movie, it just moves at such a pace. It's an incredibly well-paced movie. I only really have one thing, and it's Uncle Frank calling Kevin a jerk and not one adult asking what happened. So I know this entire sequence has to take place because the movie's plot demands it, right? But I have so many issues with the fact that Kevin's mom and dad just sit there, let Uncle Frank call him a jerk, and then also don't really investigate what happened. They just Mm -hmm. assume it's Kevin and it's his fault entirely, which it's not his fault entirely. And he definitely should be punished for how he acted, for sure. But that was Buzz. That was mostly his fault in instigating it. I would have been much harder on him, right? There's no investigation into what all happened. The parents aren't like, any other parents would be like, what happened? Why did this just happen and all that? You know? They just literally let the kids and the other parents handle it in terms of reacting to it. And yeah, everything. I know. He calls it, Kevin, you're such a freaking disease. And and it's like, the, oh my God. Like, parents are just standing there. Like, parents are just standing there. Like, I, I know damn well if I would have gotten in trouble and one of my other siblings would have said, mouthed off and said something to me, they would have gotten a rebuttal <laughs> very fast. Right. That's why these are like kind of like, even though the mom wasn't that bad, these are my least favorite movie parents or some of my least favorite movie parentals. Yeah. Well, like that's my only thing that I have for worst scenes and moments because it's uh, Uncle Frank calling him a jerk and and no one, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't seem natural, even though I know that that's what the movie and the plot demand. It right. has to happen in order for the plot to move forward. Right. But I just think it could have been written a little bit better. Definitely. Do you have any others to add or anything to add other besides that? No, I mean, there's a lot of scenes that bother me, but I wouldn't say they're worst scenes or like unnecessary or anything like that. I think I agree with you on that being like my least favorite scene is that interjection from Uncle Frank during the pizza scene and literally all the other kids just like being rude to Kevin. Like that's it, it's necessary for the plot, but I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. So best performance. This is pretty easy to me. It's Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern together. Mm-hmm. They are ridiculously good in this movie. And especially in the defending of the house sequence mm-hmm. it is there overacting and overselling that make those like really physical performances that they're giving so funny, you know? Yeah. yeah, I could, you know, if you say, or if you think that Macaulay Culkin gives the best performance, you're not going to get an argument from me, but Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are just, they're incredible in this movie. They're so freaking funny together. Especially to me, Daniel Stern, he was excellent as Marv. Like there couldn't have been anybody else who played Marv and it still give off like, well, that scream it's, it's Mm -hmm. perfect. 
He's not afraid to get to that register of scream, you know? No, he's not. No. <laughs> he gets real high. Um, so for you, what's your best, what's the best performance for you? Macaulay Culkin. Nice. Cause like, that was my first time seeing him in a movie, like on screen at that age. Like that, that was my first Macaulay Culkin movie. And then I found out he had done previous stuff. Now, was it Home Alone 2 was your first one with him? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm not sure how close together Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 released. I think uh, Home Alone 2 came out in 1992, if I'm not mistaken. Let me let me look this up real quick. But I'm pretty sure it's it's 1992. It's either 92 or 91. Um, let's see here. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Yeah, 1992. And Home Alone 1 came out when? 90? 91? 1990, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. So they came out two years apart. Yeah. He doesn't seem like he aged that much um, in between then. Yeah, 1990. It came out in 1990, November 16th, 1990. So they were released about two years apart from one another. And yeah, he looks a little bit older, but not too much older, which I mean, that makes right. sense to me. It's, it's two years, but you know, kids can age a lot in two years. Right. Yeah. Um, I just like Macaulay Culkin. I like how, um, I just like how they had him portray his character. Like he's smart and very well aware of a lot of stuff. He has slightly childish reactions in like one or two scenes that we've talked about he's already. Very but much a child. For the most part, he's smart. Yeah, he's still very much a child, but they write him in such a way that he feels like a very. It sounds weird, but like an accurate child. You know what I mean? Like he has very mature reactions to stuff. He's not like an overly excitable stimulate well, he's kind of reserved they strike a, a really good balance in the sense that yes he's still very much a child and he has the mind of a child and in some in some movies they when they write children they they don't they forget to strike that balance and they write them too smart and you're like okay this is like an this is adult dialogue you know what i mean right this doesn't sound like a kid and then sometimes they do the exact opposite uh and here it's it's very much striking that balance and it really feels like a kid. And I think that's why watching this when I was growing up, it felt so cool because I felt like I was seeing myself on screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but moving on to the Does This Make Sense Award. So there's 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 a a lot in this movie <laughs> that I have questions about. I'll start off with this. How did the family not even notice once that Kevin wasn't there? Like when they're doing the head counting thing, they just count the back of them. Like they think it's, they, it's a neighbor kid. And right. not once on that car ride do they ask about Kevin or even talk about Kevin, which in a sense makes sense because he's kind of the, the black sheep of the family. No one really wants anything to do with them. But, like, I mean... You would notice, right? You would think, 
Yeah, you would definitely notice because you would think the mom would want to see how, see if his attitudes changed since they just had a like a huge argument, sort of a together. big fight for yeah. a mother and a son. Yeah, like wishing his whole family would go away and they'd be by himself. And like you know, you think she would want to check on him, like how are we feeling today and stuff like that. Like you didn't run up there and wake him up, like you know, like I wonder if she even saw him all morning. <laughs> But, but like you know, because he woke up and his hair was still like a mess and everything, and he's looking for everybody. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, true, true, true. He like no sleep. he didn't even get wake, uh, woke up or anything. But Super he, neglectful, dude. Yeah. Super neglectful. He was a very neglected child. That does not make sense. Um well it, it does and doesn't. Like he was a pretty neglected child. Um so it makes sense. To, to a degree, but even then, you would still have to notice that he was there. I guess. Yeah. So, this is more of a, a statement than a question, but the police wouldn't just leave if they knew Kevin was home alone and his mother had just called. Um, right. They would not just leave. Because they go there, and then they leave, and nothing else happens of that. Right. Uh, and no one else, after that incident, calls the police to check up on it or anything. No follow-up. No follow-up. No, no nothing. That's uh, so that, that's kind of... Incredibly irresponsible. Yeah, very much so. So that, that doesn't really make much sense to me. Be kind of scary if that's how it really worked. Yeah. Uh, how are Harry and Marv not dead or seriously injured? Right, because I mean like... You can kind of assume they're seriously injured, but some of that stuff, uh-uh. Nah, something would happen. Something something crazy ligament-wise or vertebrae-wise or blood clot-wise or something <laughs> would happen in real life to be like, oh, nah. Yeah, he, he messed <laughs> them up pretty good. Again, he, he messed them up pretty, pretty good. I would even say maybe one of them has like a shattered splintered bone or something. I don't know. For sure. Um, what does Kevin's mom and dad do for a living? Because they have that really nice house in the uh, suburbs of Chicago. And then they're able to afford the entire family trip to Paris over vacation. That's I think every family wonders this. That is a really good question. I think I love everybody the, wonders this. I love the popular fan theory, and I'm sure you probably know more about this than I do, uh, that uh, Kevin's dad is somehow entangled with the mafia. Really? You've never heard of that? No. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've heard – I haven't done enough – uh, reading of that one, but I know that's like a popular fan theory is that he somehow is involved with like the the mafia in Chicago or something. Wow. <laughs> no, I've never heard of that. I mean, that would make a lot of sense because They're as loaded. we've seen from um, what is it? Uh, what is that show that used to come on HBO? I don't know. What show? Oh, The Sopranos. The Sopranos. Oh, okay. As we've seen in The Sopranos, the mob takes care of its mob families. That's for sure. 
Now, listen. They have some of the nicest houses, like Tony Soprano's house and his kids and everything. They always had the nicest stuff. So I talked about this during the Many Saints of New York review that I did. I have never seen mm-hmm. The Sopranos. My mom is a huge fan of The Sopranos, and she has asked me multiple times to watch it. So at some point, I need to start watching it. I said I, after I saw Many Saints of New York uh, Newark, that I was, so I need to go ahead and do that. Ben, I honestly think you will have a ball with The Sopranos. Okay. You're it's not the first person to tell me that. So I'm Insane, dude. I'm looking forward to it. But out of all these, which one makes the the least sense to you? It's a good question. Um, I would say the police leaving. Same. Like that, that's a pretty big loophole. Yeah, pretty big plot hole, I should say. Yeah, giving it some thought, I definitely would say the police. Yeah. Agreed. Like at first I would say like, you know, number one, like how did the family not even notice once that Kevin wasn't there? But also, I mean, that happens in real life. Like you, people are just so f- flustered with everything they got going on in their head, especially being a parent and having multiple errands and stuff to run. And when you have something major like uh, international vacation and stuff like that, I can see how that might happen. But I would think the police leaving is just the most ridiculous out of all of these. Like, that does not make sense at all. Police are not going to be that apathetic. No, I, I don't think so, especially with something like a missing child, you know, or a child right. left home alone while his entire family forgot him. Right. And speaking especially of which, Chicago how did they, I didn't even write this one down, but how did his parents not even get reported to child services after Very that weird. incident? You know, shit goes down in Chicago. Chicago PD needs to be on that. I know, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, not necessarily child services, but following up and making sure there's not a kid at home alone because, dang. Now that I think about it, Kevin McAllister is a little more hardcore than I thought. He was in the streets of Chicago. Well, it's the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, I know. know. Suburbs of Chicago. Hey, not oversell this. streets in the suburbs. Yeah. He was pretty well protected. But white not suburban these streets. Do what? I said they have streets in the suburbs, but not these streets. No. No. <laughs> but, yeah, I, speaking of what Home Alone, yeah, the, 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 how did they not get Child Protective Services called on them? That That's something to, to think about. Food for thought. Food for thought, yes. But moving on to MVP, for me this is easy. It's John Williams. The score for this film is iconic and 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 just something that you can hum. You know, and that's the the magic about John Williams scores is they're often the things that you can hum, right? Right. And it to me it's it's my favorite Christmas score. For sure. Hmm. What about you? What's your, what's your, uh, who's your MVP? I, I'm going to agree with you on the MVP being John Williams because like, I mean, I've already said it before, but I'm a huge fan 
of scores of movies and soundtracks and everything. Not necessarily like soundtracks and scores are two different things, but the scores, like the instrumental score for the movies and everything. I love those. And I don't think there would have been an, a more iconic sound than the sounds that he chose for some of the like main tracks for this movie that people get stuck in their heads. Yeah, Somewhere in My Memory is still a really, really good song, I think. Like, the beginning, opening yeah. track, and then, you know, the coming home and reuniting with his family, that that music, it was like the perfect blend between, like, Christmas, joy, and, like, a miracle happening and everything, which is getting his family back and all that. Well, like, it, you know, it's... it's the, it- captures that perfect sense of like whimsy mischievousness but it also has a lot of heart to it you know what i mean and, and a lot yeah. of, a lot of depth to it as well and that's the magic of john williams you know mm-hmm. but at the end of the day cam why would you recommend this movie because it is a really good christmas movie but also it's not your typical Christmas movie because how many Christmas movies are you going to see out there where uh, a young kid, not even a teen, is fighting off a couple of robbers who are trying to break into his house with a bunch of booby traps and just all these terrible, like, almost saw-like traps. <laughs> no, right? For these guys, like, and just torturing them, just torturing them, like... That you're not going to see many Christmas movies like that. You know, you don't think of a movie with this tone near the end of the movie as, as being a Christmas movie, but it's like it's like Die Hard for kids almost. <laughs> well, for me, I think the reason I recommend this movie is yes, much like you were mentioning, the 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 ending of this film is hysterical with the with the booby traps that he sets up for the robbers breaking into the house, right? That's the whole reason you watch the movie is the build up to that sequence. Right. But to me, again, it's the message of the movie about family reconciliation and forgiveness and not being afraid to, to say sorry first, you know? And I think that's what I've been able to hold on to for all these years is the messaging of this movie. Yeah. You have, the funny stuff and shenanigans that Kevin gets into. And, you know, as a kid, I thought it was super cool because I related a lot to Kevin and I felt like it was, you know, I was being represented on screen when I saw Kevin in in this movie growing up. But as an adult, I watched this and it's, it's more the message that I take away. Even when I was a kid, I still took away the message, but now, especially as an adult, it's, it's the message that, that really rings true to me. You know, what's important is right is family and it, not talking just about blood family. It, it can be, you know, f- friends you're close with that you consider family or any, anybody. And that's that's why I recommend this movie. But that is it for this week's show. And Cam, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Yeah. I love being on the show. Well, thank you. Um, you. You'll be back on next week for Home Alone 2 that's right i will be yeah yeah well we're pretty excited for that one actually hot take i prefer home alone 2 to this one oh really yes yes i do interesting Mm -hmm. i um there's some exciting 
avenues of conversation that we're going to have after we get to Home Alone 2, because then we can start comparing the two. Yeah, it's 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 going to be real fun. I'm looking forward to that. Yep. But until then, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave a comment and rate us. Seriously, that helps us out a ton. Uh, so if you haven't, if you listen to the show and you haven't given us a, a review or rated us, please do it. it. It helps us out. And while you're at it, give me a follow over on Instagram and TikTok at Ben Davis Movie Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest content I have for you guys. Anyways, until next time, stay classy. Thank you.